Happy Easter. Thanks, Kayla. All right. So there have been no bird sightings in here yet. However, there are geese that seem to want to get into the building. Uh, so there's literally, there is a whole bunch of geese just out in front of this door. And there's like one standing at the door, just like pecking at the glass. So right now we're doing okay. But if we suddenly get attacked by Canadian geese, um, it's just Easter. I mean, what can you do? Uh, <laughs> If you got a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up. We're going to be starting in the beginning. We're going to Genesis chapter 1 as we begin our uh, Easter message today. Uh, here's what it says. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so Genesis begins with this story of creation. And this wasn't the only creation story that was circulating in the ancient world. There are all sorts of stories, most of them about a god or a bunch of different gods who get into conflict with each other, who begin to fight and destroy each other, and kind of out of the carnage flows creation. But, but yet this story was radical in its day because this told the story of a god for whom creation wasn't some offshoot of violence and destruction, or even this burning need or desire to have people to serve him. This flows out of a God who just simply speaks into the chaos and the darkness and goes, I want to bring light and life there. This is a God whose creation flows out of his generosity and out of his love. The story continues with this God, this creator God, speaking the rest of creation into existence. The sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the waters, the animals, the creatures. And, it begin, and then it talks about God creating human beings, male and female. And he creates them in his image. Essentially, they are his reflections into the rest of creation to, to show the universe what this God is like. And so while this God is present and passionately in love with all of his creation, there is this special connection between God and humanity, this special calling vocation that's placed on humanity to show and to mediate, to, to be this connecting point with God and the rest of the creation. Genesis 2, we, we get a sort of a, a zoom in on these first humans. One is named Adam, and the other one, she hasn't been given a name yet, but uh, later on we refer to her as Eve. And they've been placed in a garden to tend it and to look after it. It's paradise. I mean, for those of you who do not have green thumbs, you're like, no, do not put me a yard work. Sounds terrible. But for Adam and for Eve, I mean, this was incredible. I mean, this is, this is like those experiences that you have where you could, are like, oh, I could do this forever. You just lose yourself in it. And so Adam and Eve together, they are partners and they are in this perfect intimate relationship with the creator, God. It talks about God coming and being present in the garden with them. 
And there's this beautiful intimacy between Adam and Eve. It's not about keeping a list of, well, I did this and you did this. There's just this self-giving love that flows between God and humanity and the rest of creation. There's no keeping tabs. There's no holding grudges. There's no disappointment. There's no expectations. Oh, you should be more than this than you are. It is just beautiful and pure and it's connected. But it doesn't stay this way. We see things break down. There's this story about Adam and Eve being deceived by a serpent. And essentially the story looks like this. There's a, there involves a piece of fruit, but more significantly, it involves a desire to be able to make decisions for themselves to decide, hey, this is how I want to live. And humans saying, no, no, we know the best way to live. Adam and Eve, they go, no, we know we are going to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And God, who is the source of all things good, he says, you cannot choose this for yourself apart from me. And he says, there's consequences. If you pursue this, if you seek after this, if you, if you try to establish a life separate from me, it involves, it always ends in destruction and death. Because it means that you are shattering, you are breaking the connection, the relationship that we have with one another. You are severing this perfect love that I have for you and you have for me. And Adam and Eve, they choose to go their own way. Essentially, they say, God, we've got this handled. We'll take care of it. We'll decide what's best for us. And in a sense, the rest is history. And the rest is our present. I mean, we see this all the time. We see it when we turn on the news. We see it as we hear about the death tolls of people dying from COVID-19 or from other diseases. We see it when we, we see the injustices that are happening, not simply in faraway countries, but in our own country. We see it when we see the, 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 the families being torn apart. We, we see it when we see loneliness and isolation, this fracturing of relationship that was meant to be perfect and in union and in sync with God and with the rest of creation. And yet something has gone wrong. And for us as Christians, we call this sin. And sin always leads to death and separation, and isolation. And it's easy to talk about sin as if it's some far-off thing just out there. A little while ago, or actually a number of years ago, I remember seeing this amazing billboard, and it was up on this very busy freeway, and the billboard was put up beside it and it says, you're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. And I often think about that whenever I find myself stuck in traffic and I kind of externalize it. I think, oh, traffic is something that's happening out there. But, but the reality is sin isn't just simply that's present in our world. It's not just simply in, in, uh, in injustice that we see in faraway places. It's not just in the brokenness we see out there. It is, it is something that is present within each one of us. Because again and again, I find myself choosing to live life my own way, essentially saying to God, God, I got this handled. I know how I should live. I'm going to choose to go a different way. Sin is not just something out there. It is something true and present to each 
and every one of us. That brokenness, that separation that we see in the garden story that happens between God and Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve and the rest of creation. That's not just true of then, it's true of us and it's true of me. And it's true for you too. But the story doesn't end there. Our story doesn't end there. Genesis, or uh, if you want to skip ahead to John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, John, our writer, he's telling us the story of Jesus. And the words that he's using are very intentional. Now, for most of us, we try to read our Bible maybe as much as we, maybe we don't read it as much as we should. But in the ancient world, the, the first Christians, they knew their Bibles really well, or at least most of them did. And so when they hear this, when they hear this talk about a first day starting in darkness, immediately what would come to mind for them is not, oh, what day of the week is this? They're thinking, oh, wait, this writer, this, this person, they're connecting this Jesus story with the Genesis story. There's, there's a creation thing happening here. This, this is connecting us with the God who speaks into creation and brings life there. Mary, she comes to the tomb in darkness. And while it was probably literally dark as well, you can imagine the darkness she was feeling just a few days before she watched Jesus crucified on a cross. I mean, she had poured out her life, invested so much, all of her hopes, her dreams into this thing, into this movement, into this person, into Jesus. And she watched them die up there with him on that cross. If you've ever given everything you've got to a friendship or a relationship, to a family member or to a, to a business or an organization, you've just poured yourself out, self out into it and you just watch it crumble and fall apart in front of you. If you've ever experienced that kind of heartbreak, that kind of despair, then you know this story. She comes to the tomb expecting a stone to be there and maybe some guards to move it so she can go and anoint Jesus's body. But, but the tomb is open. The guards aren't there. What's happened? She immediately runs back to find the other disciples, says the tomb, the stone has been rolled away, and she thinks the worst. They've stolen Jesus' body. It wasn't enough just to humiliate him on that cross. They have to continue to torment him even in death, to mock him. And so the disciples, John and Peter, they run to the tomb, and they get there, and they realize, expecting to see a scene that's just kind of all over the place, maybe a mess, just some people frantically going to steal a body, treating it with total disrespect. But they come into the tomb and they suddenly discover that, that the burial cloths have been put back nice and neat. And it actually talks about John saying, oh, something is happening here. And it talks about him believing. And they go back to find their friends, but Mary, she's still there. 
she's crying, she's weeping. She's so lost and feels so alone and isolated in her despair and, and, the, and the terrible situation she's facing and she's crying. And as she goes in, it says this, as she goes in and she looks in the tomb and she sees two angels there. Now, now you'd think that would suddenly wake her up, that would suddenly open up her eyes, but, but she is so lost in her grief and despair. And uh, it says she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Now, I love this expression, gardener. She calls Jesus the gardener. And I think John is, not only did this happen, but I think John is pointing this out for a very specific reason because she, we automatically read this on the surface level and we think, oh, She's just mistaken, right? She's so lost and blinded by her hurt. But, but John is actually being very intentional because he is, again, drawing us back to Genesis. And he's reminding us about humanity's original calling, original intention in this world is to tend the garden that God has created. And so John is saying, oh, wait a minute. This is about a new creation. This is about a new Adam. This is about a new start to God's good creation, one that is no longer constrained or, or, uh, or, or, uh, or captured by sin and by death, but has been set free and has been liberated. Jesus is the new creation. And Jesus says to her, Mary, and as she hears her name, suddenly her eyes are opened. Suddenly the tears somehow are pushed aside and she sees that it is Jesus in front of her. And she turns to him and says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord and she told them, he had said these things to her. In that garden, on that first Easter morning, we see the inbreaking of God's new creation in the world. Now, the amazing thing about this, the, the incredible thing is not simply that, oh, we have this promise of we get to go to heaven when we die, but rather we have this promise of knowing that God's heaven, that God's reign, God's rule is breaking out in our world around us, vanquishing sin and death and the broken relationship that we have with God. God has come and he is restoring it. I love this because at the very heart at the very heart, the Genesis, or sorry, at the very heart, the resurrection tells us that God has not given up on us. That the, no matter how strong and overwhelming our sin and the reality of death is in our world, that God's creative, redemptive power is so much more powerful. And that God is not content to simply say, well, uh, it's better than nothing. When he looks around and he sees the brokenness and hurt and pain and fractured relationship in our world. 
that God looks at it and he says, no, wait a minute. I'm not giving up on this. The resurrection is all about God saying, no, wait a minute. I've got something better. And it's not him giving up on everything. It's not hitting reboot, doing a full restart, getting every, everything pushed out and starting again from scratch. I mean, this is a God that wants to redeem and restore. You matter to this God. Maybe that's hard to believe. Maybe you're in isolation right now, or, or maybe you are just going out of your mind, being stuck at home, or, or maybe you are overwhelmed with the stresses that come with work or figuring out the future, or, or maybe the lack of work that you are going through right now. And it is hard to believe that God is there and it feels like he has given up on you, but the resurrection, new creation says, no, God hasn't. I had a prof in university, and he, he used to simply say this about new creation. He said, new creation is, is God making all things new, not God making all new things. So in your brokenness, in your sinfulness, in your selfishness and pride and all the things about yourself that as you look at who Jesus is and you go, oh, I'm so far away from the person I know I'm called to be. And yet God, his spirit is at work in us. And just as he spoke into the darkness and brought life and creation and light, his spirit is speaking into your life through Jesus and is transforming you and making you more into Jesus or being more like Jesus. In the season where so much is so overwhelming, would you know that God has not given up on you? That God has not abandoned you? God has not turned his back on you? In the resurrection, we see that Jesus is alive, that God's love is so much stronger than our sin and the death that seems to rule in this world, and that new creation is happening here and now. And as we commit ourselves to the way of Jesus, the way of the cross of sacrificial, self-giving love and obedience to God, we discover that even as we lose things, even as death is very much a part of our lives, we discover that there is new life, that there is resurrection, new creation on the other side. I simply want to conclude with this passage from Romans. And uh, it is Romans chapter 8, and throughout it, Paul, in writing this letter, he's talking about creation groaning, as it's just aching and, and, and full of this pain as we see the suffering and sin and death in our world. And then he invites the church to go and be present in the midst of that groaning world and to groan too. This is not just new creation doesn't mean we become indifferent to the suffering in the world. Rather, it means we become in tune with the way the world is truly supposed to be. And so that makes us groan and moan and, and frustrated even more because we see the world not simply through the lens of sin and death, but we see it through the lens of new creation. And at the very heart, God says, as the church is at the center of the world groaning, the Spirit of God is at the center groaning as well. And then 
he concludes by saying this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Know that God has not given up on you. You have not been abandoned because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. Amen.